Hey, this is Maxwell Carlisle, and you're listening to Iron City Rocks. Hey, we're the Butcher Babies, and you're listening to Iron, Iron City Rocks. Rocks. Yeah. Hey, this is Chris from In This Moment, and you're listening to Iron City Rocks. All right, Pittsburgh! You are the best! You got the best! Hello and welcome to episode 225 of the Iron City Rocks podcast. I'm your host, Sean, coming to you from the Iron City of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. In episode 225, we are starting 2014 off with a bang. We've got two very special guests for you. From the band In This Moment, we have guitarist Chris Howarth. We've also got shred guitarist Maxwell Carlisle. So we're going to start things off with In This Moment. Before we get to the interview, though, here is a track from their most recent album, Blood. The song is entitled Horror. About the one thing you can live without. Yeah, I'm the girl you've been waiting for. I have you down on your knees, love you begging for more. You probably thought I wouldn't get this far. You thought I'd end up in the back of a car. You probably thought that I'd never escape. I'd be around in a cage and be enslaved in this place. You don't know how I fought to survive. Waking up alone when I was left to die. And you don't know about this life I've led. All these roads I walk, all these sins I. gentlemen with me on the line i have chris Howarth from in this moment how are you doing today chris i'm doing awesome man i'm driving down i-80 in uh iowa right now okay uh where are you guys headed we're headed for omaha we have a show there tomorrow um so you've got uh this is the first leg of the hell pop tour uh with motionless and white king and all hell the yeti um you guys recently announced the second leg of the tour which uh, i'm looking forward to because that's coming here to pittsburgh how's the tour been going so far it's been amazing, man. We, you know, we've done a lot of touring on on the Blood album cycle, but we haven't really done any kind of headlining. Right. And uh, you know, we plan we've been planning kind of all along to headline at the very end of the cycle, you know. But we really didn't have an idea of what it was going to be like. We were hoping it was going to be really good, you know, and we we're going to be packing out some big places, and and it turned out to be that way. And so we're just, you know, we're over the moon, man. We're so excited because people are showing up and they're singing all the words and. Right. It's just a really good feeling. Um, you guys have been almost seems like touring nonstop. I mean, I mean, I saw you guys last summer during the Uproar tour, and then uh, you had Carnival of Madness, and you had like a little headlining stint in between that, didn't you? Well, we we did a bunch of festivals, and so we kind of just headlined some shows in between them. Right. We haven't really had a full proper headliner until right now. Okay, cool. Um, how are all the bands uh, on the on the tour? They're amazing, man. We we know all all of them personally, so we're we're friends with all of them, and they're also all really awesome bands, you know, with with really unique things they bring to the, the tour. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's just makes it. I think it makes it exciting for for the fans, you know. They're not just seeing a bunch of the same kind of bands; they're right. seeing a variety kind of happening, and it makes it cool. Cool. Um, and one thing I noticed, like you know, I've seen you probably a few times over the last year, like you know, Uproar and Carnival of Madness, and uh, you were here in Pittsburgh, you know, uh, briefly back in uh, 
you know, earlier in the year. Um, your stage has kind of been expanding every time I saw you. Is that, uh, you know, something you guys have been planning? Because you, you guys have got a really cool stage show right now. And I think that's kind of different than what you guys did in the past, looking at some more videos. You know, you had more of a bare stage. Yeah, no, it, it's true, man. Basically, when we were doing this album and this whole thing, you know, Maria and I had talked about a lot of things, and, and one of them was, you know, let's not be afraid to do whatever we want to do anymore. Let's, let's not just go up there and play music. Let's make it like a show to go with the music. And, and so every, you know, we didn't really know what to do. We did it all. We've been doing it all ourselves, you know, kind of adding stuff. And, right. And Maria's got a very vivid imagination and comes up with a lot of really crazy ideas. And I've learned over the years to just go along with them. And <laughs> nine times out of ten, they're going to they're be awesome, you know, like the dancers and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um but we just also made a point that we were going to try to do something different every time we did a tour, you know, even if it was a supporting tour, we're not going to play the same songs and do the same exact show that we did the tour before. That way, if our fans come see us a lot, they'll see something different every tour. Right. New people will see that things are updating constantly, so it's always, you know, a good idea to go check out in this moment when they come through town because it's going to be something you haven't seen yet. And it's just been growing, you know, we've been kind of figuring it out as we go along, we're not, you know, we're not like millionaires or anything. So right. we're, we're kind of just doing it on our own budget and building a lot of the stuff at Home Depot and things like that and coming up with ideas that, that we can do and implement, you know, that'll work in theaters and stuff like that until we can get it to where we're, you know, in arenas. You know, we want to be like Kiss or Alice Cooper or Rob Zombie right. and you show like that, you know. And, you know, the theatrics really just help. You know, I think, you know, bring the music across and get the fans involved a lot more. Um, let's talk about Blood uh, a little bit. The album's been out for over a year. It's been, uh, you know, selling phenomenally. It's, it's a solid album. It's firing on all cylinders. Um, before, you know, like, coming, going into that album, you guys had, you know, little difficulties with some band members leaving or not. Was there any doubt, like, whether this album would get made or did that help push the album further? Yeah, at first it was, you know, when it first all happened, it was definitely like, oh my gosh, are we going to be able to do this? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? You know, Marie and I were both like kind of like feeling, feeling abandoned, you know, because it was our man members and our management mm-hmm. all left within a period of like, two months, you know, and, and, you know, when you're putting out an album and stuff like that, you know, you need to have a management team in place to help, you know, implement the plan and to get things going. And, and you know, we, we knew enough about it to know that, you know, so we had a lot of pressure with that. You know, finding management, even if we were going to record the album, you know, we needed management to release it, you know, right. do it properly. So, so we were kind of like, we were really kind of doubtful at first, but we, we rallied and said, you know, we're going to do this. And it definitely gave us that fire, you know, that, that people don't believe in us anymore. They think that we were done and we're not done and we're going to show that kind of, you know, that was kind of burning in our guts as we made it. And And once we made the song Blood, you know, we made that really early on because Kevin, or his, you know, he's like a sixth member of the band. We've done mm-hmm. three albums with him. And, and he, he basically knew we were looking for management and stuff and knew what was going on with the band. He, he was always, we can do this. We can do, we don't need those other guys. We'll make the best album we've ever made, you know. And he said, just come down and, and we'll do three songs first. You know, this is before we went to make the whole album. Right. Like, let's do three songs and we'll show everybody what we're doing. And one of those songs was Blood. And literally, the minute we sent those songs off to people, the next day the phone was ringing off the hook, and we had meetings up. People who before were just like, "Oh, we'll just see how things develop." And mm-hmm. you know, we had management within you know two weeks of getting that song "Blood" done. So the song "Blood" kind of set the tone for for everything, you know, in the album. And we kind of followed that feeling through the whole rest of the album, and kind of wanted to implement that kind of vibe, I guess. Yeah, it really kind of brought it all together. And uh, you know, Blood's great. So the first time I heard Blood, I, you know, I just it was stuck in my head. I had to go out and buy the album right away just to, you know, hear the rest of it. It's, it's, it's a great song, a great album. Um, one thing I, I noticed, like, we're going through the liner notes, and like, a lot of people, you know, buy songs, you know, albums from iTunes or Amazon to download, and they don't get the liner notes. Um, Jakey Lee actually plays on on the song You're Gonna Listen. How did that come about? Uh, man, I am, like, the biggest Jakey Lee fan ever. You know, he was, like, one of my favorite guitar players when I was growing up, and my favorite Ozzy guitar player, mm-hmm. and uh, he was basically working on his solo album right next door to us when we were when we were in the studio, and I could hear him playing stuff through the wall, like you know, waiting for darkness and stuff like that. And I was like, "That's Jakey Lee, man, it's so <laughs> cool." And uh, our our producer Kevin was kind of the executive producing his album, kind of meaning he would 
oversee the whole thing once the songs were all done, and then he he mixed and mastered it as well. But okay. he was uh, he had Jake come over one night and uh, you know met us, met us listening to a few songs we had, and, and I was talking to him and stuff. He's a super duper duper soft nice guy, you know, not cocky at all. Right. And and he was like, "When am I gonna get to play on on your album, man?" And I was just like, "Are you kidding me? Right now, man!" And I basically told Kevin, you know, Jake said he wanted to do this, you know, let's do this. And we, we didn't really have any spots, you know. We had the solo for "You're Gonna Listen" that I had laid mm-hmm. in there, and I just basically said, "Let's take that rhythm, spread the song apart, throw in another, you know, four bars of, of rhythm track, so Jake could play a solo right there too, you know." And he did that, you know, one, one night, and then came back around and basically wanted us to play on his one of his songs, you know. So Maria and I, Maria sings and, and did vocals and lyrics on, on a song, and I played guitar on a song on his new album that's coming out soon, too. So it was a total amazing situation. Right. It, it, it sounds, I mean, I guess, you know, playing with your idols always has to be uh, such a huge rush. Um, you uh, you guys recently completed uh, the video for Whore. When, uh, when's that going to be dropping? They're working on that right now, man. They're, it could be this week, uh, maybe next week, early next week sometime. Mm-hmm. But it's coming soon. Cool, cool. And you guys, uh, you, uh, did you, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but you guys recorded a, uh, a show for a live DVD back in May? Yes, we did. And, uh, is, is that going to be, uh, seeing the light of day soon or? Yeah, it is. It actually, we've been kind of going back and forth trying to get the audio and the, the right. video parts right and edited together kind of like, that we were kind of happy with, you know. Mm-hmm. It's one of those things that they film what they film, you know, and so, you know, we're trying to make it as good as we, we want it to be, but we, you know, we didn't film it. We're not producing it, but I've, our, we've already approved artwork for the packaging and stuff like that, so it's they're working on it right now. It's, I'm imagining they're going to have some kind of either pre-order or something going on for Christmas. They might even have it done by Christmas, but I'm not sure. But it, it'll be like a, a DVD with a book, package and also like a, a deluxe blood thing with the CD and the DVD included. Yeah, I was just going to ask if there's going to be a, like a live CD to go with it. Um, now, you uh, you play, talk a little bit about your gear because you know, a lot of our listeners are big gearheads. You play uh, Schecter guitars mainly and you uh, you have a signature Schecter model now, don't you? Yes, man. It just made me with my own guitar. Like I played them on Carnival Madness and this tour. Mm-hmm. And I'm so stoked. We've been with Schecter since 2006, man. Before we even signed our deal, right. we first started touring. We needed guitars, and, and Schecter gave us each two guitars, and we were, it was the greatest thing in the world. And they've just been supporting us every step of the way since our, our career started. So, fiercely loyal to Schecter, and really excited to have have a signature model with them finally. And uh, how was designing that? Did you have a lot of input into that? Yeah, it was basically what do you want, you know? And we've been playing these a lot lately, and, and I, I love their V-shape, so I want a flying V, and, and I'm kind of a basic guy when it comes to all the bells and whistles, you know? I don't like all these different switches and knobs and right. things like that. I like, so I just had to put one knob and one pickup in there. And they have the, you know, I, I like to keep it simple, so everything on it is basic, but cool, it's a cool looking. Right, yeah, it is a, it's a nice looking guitar. Um, so you got the, the help, the help hop tour, uh, and then second leg of the help hop tour, and then you're doing the, uh, ship rot cruise. Um, is that going to be it for touring for this cycle? Is, is there plans for a new album soon? Yes, that's the plan, man. We're, we're doing second leg in January, and our last show for the blood album cycle will be on ship rot. Mm-hmm. And then we're, we're supposed to take a month off. I don't really see that happening. We'll probably be writing the whole time, but. We're going to the studio in March, April, May, and June to do the next album. And we'll have a song that will be out probably in June sometime, Okay. a single, and then uh, the album probably, you know, summer or or fall, or, yeah, fall. Now, do you guys write on the road, or are you going to just go into the studio and start writing? Um, Maria is, like, obsessed with writing stuff all the time. She loves to write on the road. I personally don't like to ride on the road. Mm-hmm. I like to, to be on the road and do road stuff and just be, that's what I do there. I don't like the pressure of trying to come up with songs and having to work on stuff like that on the bus, but, but she loves it. So we both do it differently. You know, when I get home, I, I come up with just ideas and riffs, parts of songs. Maybe I'll have a verse chorus or just a riff. And Maria does the same thing, and then we just bring all of our stuff together 
with Kevin in the studio and start creating songs. Cool. Well, I uh, can't wait to uh, see you guys here in Pittsburgh in, uh, in January and, and hear the new stuff uh, coming up in, in the next year or so. And I uh, want to thank you for taking the time to talk to us. Um, and uh, hope to see you uh, real soon. Yeah, man. Thanks a lot, Sean. We're excited to come to Pittsburgh, man. It's our guitar player, Randy's hometown. It's always a great show there. So we'll see you guys in January. Awesome. I'm so glad that you're here. I'm so glad you'd crawl this road. It's so sweet how you care. I bet you're ready for. Thank Chris for joining us. That track you just heard was You're Gonna Listen. That is off the Bud album, and that is also the uh, song that does feature Jake E. Lee. Uh, in this moment, we'll be hitting Pittsburgh's Club Zoo on January 15th, so check that out. If you're not in the Iron City, check out their website to see where you can catch them. They are on tour with the Butcher Babies, Devour the Day, and All Hail the Yeti. Also, July 21st, in this moment, we'll be releasing a special edition of the Blood album. This edition will feature a, uh, an additional track. Uh, it's a cover of Nine Snails Closer and also a second DVD called Blood at the Orpheum which is their live show and there's some other special features on there as well. Up next, Aaron had a chance to talk with guitarist Maxwell Carlisle. Before we get to that interview, though, here is a track from his latest EP, Full Metal Thunder. The track is entitled Marching with the Dragons. And I have on the phone with me tonight, Maxwell Carlisle. Um, how you doing, Max? Great, man. How about you? I am doing good, man. So you are a guitar player here and a shredder. You've got this new EP out, uh, The Full Metal Thunder. So let's talk about kind of how you started. Because I was reading, reading your backstory here, and I found it kind of interesting, all the different instruments you kind of came through t- until you got to the guitar. Yeah. So let, let, let's kind of, kind of start with your back history here. Okay, well... <clears throat> I, first, I should I should make a little disclaimer that a lot of this is not very metal, so I apologize for that. But <laughs> if you go way, way back to when I first started, um, my parents took me to... Okay, well, okay, I grew up in a suburb of Seattle up in Washington, right? <clears throat> and it's kind of a weird blend of, you know, you got the Microsoft people up there, but then you also have some of the old, you know, kind of country people up there. And so when I was really young, I'm talking like seven, eight years old, my parents took me to some uh, kind of like Grange Hall type stuff where they did like folk music and fiddle music, like old time, like bluegrass and that kind of stuff. Yeah. And so I watched that. You know, I was a little little tiny kid. So I thought, oh, man, that's cool, you know. So I want to I do music, you know. I want to play an instrument. 
but back then, you know, you do stuff in school and there's not a lot of options, you know. So I, I started playing the violin in school, in the school orchestra. And I did that for a few years. And then when I, you know, started to get a little bit older, I got in junior high, I kind of started to catch on to the fact that, you know, violin players didn't get a lot of chicks, you know. <laughs> and uh, so I thought, well, there's got to be something else I can play. Um, so I switched to playing bass in school. So bass got me, uh, you know, it was just a much, much cooler instrument to play, although not as cool as a guitar. But around the same time, um, I decided with a couple of buddies of mine that, you know, like, oh, yeah, we should start a band, you know. So at that time, I had a guitar that I got from uh, my uncle and kind of became the guitar player in this band. And, and I really didn't know very much at the time. My uncle and my dad taught me a few chords and that kind of stuff. And so I was probably around... 12 when that happened and from then I just you know I stuck with the guitar because I loved it so much and I started getting into you know all the you know all the early you know the the bands that usually uh, are the introductory bands to metal you know like ACDC and uh, Metallica and that kind of stuff and I just really latched onto it and I loved it and and the band stuff just kind of kept going and kept developing and I just kept playing with my friends around town and we started playing, you know, places in Seattle and things like that. And that's, you know, that's the early stuff. That's pretty much how it started. Obviously, I'm doing a lot of other stuff now and I, I live in Los Angeles now. Um, but as far as getting started, that's basically how it was. So I, I'm kind of curious here. When you say you're playing bass, did, did you transition to upright bass or is this electric bass? When I, when I first made the transition, it was upright bass, but I had to play, I had to play electric bass at the same time because in the school program there was a, a jazz band, and there weren't any, I was like the only bass player, so they wanted me to play in there, and yeah. that was electric stuff in there, so... I'm, I'm kind of chuckling on that one, because I was the only bass player in my high school, so I, I played everything, right. so yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I, I, I still get that. So, and, and here, here's the other thing, like, like that I find interesting. You know, so you know, you're, you're saying that like, oh, it wasn't that metal? But I, I, I completely disagree. I mean, being a metal fan from way back and loving Mozart the way that I do, I think Mozart is about as metal as it gets. You know, yeah. and, and those guys, and and it's fun to hear your backstory here because you hear those influences translate. I mean, especially the piece where you did the um, the duet for cello and guitar. I I literally I just bought that today on iTunes after reading about it. I'm like, oh, I want to hear more about this. It's probably one of my favorite pieces of yours that I've heard so far. Like cool. that one, I you know, I'm I'm enjoying the new EP. I'm listening to everything on there, but just I just keep coming back to that piece. Um, so can you kind of talk about how that came about? Sure, um, that is with a uh, cello player, a uh, cellist named Tina Guo, who's, you know, as cello players go, I mean, she's like the top of the pile in the world, really. And she's done, um, that, you know, that recording was done, I think, in 2009 or 2010. And yeah. since, you know, since then, I mean, she's she did like the uh, Cirque du Soleil tour for the Michael Jackson tour. It was like, it was like a three-year tour. Wow. You know, worldwide. I mean, yeah. some amazing stuff. And basically, the way that came about is, I was actually a friend of mine. You know, in LA, another guitar player, Mark Laham. Okay, I'll give him a shout out. Uh, he he's he's like, hey man, you got to check this out. You know, this this chick I I know from through some company or something. You know, she's having a CD release party, and it was you know it was her for one for an instrumental CD that she was putting out. And so I went to that. And uh, she also, at the same time, she was debuting a music video for a metal version of Flight of the Bumblebee done on electric cello, but wow. with, with like double bass, you know, and like yeah. the whole thing, super intense. And so she put out a video for that and she was debuting it at the same time as this, uh, this party. So I met her there and I'm just like, oh man, this is awesome, you know, because yeah, it, you know, went back to my classical roots and that kind of stuff. So I'm like, man, I really got it. You know, I really should should do you know do something that, that I could have her play on so I actually met her first and then came up with the idea you know the idea for the song afterwards yeah yeah and, and it, it took a while you know to do because of everybody's schedule and everything but uh, it was kind of fun you know because I had to you know I, I gave her you know sheet music you know which I don't do very often and that kind of stuff so it was cool 
So did you actually let, like handwrite stuff out for, for, for that part or? Yeah, I did. The, um, the, the parts in the song, they're kind of like, it's kind of like a chorus that repeats where it's a very melodic part. Yeah. And it's a harmonized line with the cello and the guitar. That part I wrote out and then she does a solo in there and the solo she improvised. Nice. Yeah. So you're pretty schooled then. If you can sit down and write out cello parts, I'm going to, I'm going to assume here, like what, what's your education background been like? Well, my education background, I mean, I, I never went to uh, a proper music school, but yeah, I mean, I can, I can read and write music and I'm pretty well versed in theory, although I don't want to, I don't like to say that because then everybody wants to, you know, all this, all the theory geeks come out of the wood, woodwork and want to challenge me on it and everything. Yeah. But, yeah. I know how that goes. Yeah. But, um, but no, I mean, just through, uh, you know, just through starting music in school at a very early age and then just through my own development, you know, as a musician afterwards. Um, but it's, it's something I like to know. I feel like there's something I always tell people when they ask about this. If you're, if you're just going to play in a cover band or even in a classical world, if you're going to just play music, you really don't need to know theory and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But if you're going to write your own music, you have to know that stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. It, it just it just helps, you know. Oh yeah. I, I mean, if if you obsess over it, you can get something that's very very robotic sounding that sort of thing. But when when you get stuck, it's like okay, what what would work here? You know, kind of kind of gives you gives you some some place to go. You know. Yeah. Yeah. So you've got a lot of projects, and this interview is probably going to be all over the place, <clears throat> just because my my notes were as, as I was you know going through things. So I want you to, to talk about kind of your guitar collection here. And I, I do want to get back to all, all the shredding and stuff. But the okay. one thing that, that struck me is I'm looking over the um, the cover for the EP and you're posing with a very particular guitar here, the, the machine gun guitar. Yeah. <clears throat> I've only ever seen um, one other player pose with a machine gun guitar, and that was Kane Roberts, who's also yeah. built like you, a bodybuilder yeah. as well. Yeah. So let's let's kind of segue into the bodybuilding, then we'll come back to the guitar here. So you're a competitive bodybuilder, also, right? Yes, that's correct. Yeah. Doesn't that kind of conflict with, um, with, with I guess the, the muscles used to play guitar? Like, don't don't you 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 find that to be a challenge at all, or like how how do those two worlds mix? I guess. Okay. Well, you know. They mix and they don't mix in, in different ways, you know. As far as the physical stuff, I've never had any problems with, you know, have you know, being stronger or having larger muscles. I've never had any problems with it getting in the way of my playing. And there's stuff that people I get that question all the time and, and people always bring up George Lynch. Because like back in the late nineties, early two thousands, George got super into bodybuilding and he started complaining about the fact that he would get real bad cramps in his forearms and things like that. Yeah. But I, unfortunately, I've never been able to have a conversation with him about that, but I've never had any problems like that at all. So, in fact, in some ways, I think, like, you know, my vibrato and things like that, it's actually a benefit to have a little bit of extra strength. Um, with the other thing, I mean, there are other things, though, that, you know, it can be a little weird, and that's just with the, the general lifestyle. Because, you know, I'm a big, obviously, you know, I've been doing bodybuilding and, and just fitness in general for a real long time. And it's a lifestyle that I really enjoy. But that doesn't, you know, really doesn't jive so much with the typical rock and roll lifestyle. You know? Yeah. So a lot of times, uh, a lot of times I'm the, I'm the odd man out and, you know, a lot of the backstage antics and things like that. You know, and I have no, I have no problem with what anybody wants to do, you know, but definitely you know i'm i'm the only guy who would ever think of bringing a protein shake to to a show backstage or something <laughs> like that you know well, well see and, and i always i always love conversations like this because when rock and roll started nobody was doing the things the rock stars did you know and and yeah. it, it was it was completely the opposite of the norm well now that's become the norm Right. And you know, people are like, well, wait a second, you know, how how could you be how could you be in, into fitness? You're a rock star, but you know, to me, I'm like, well, it doesn't get more rock and roll than that because rock and roll is all about rebellion. Yeah, that's it, true. It's about going your own direction. It's about about you know, choosing your own path and 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 sticking to that course here. That, that's that's as rebellious as you get. Yeah. 
You know, so so take me through like, like a typical like because um, I've I've been really trying to get back into fitness myself. I, I've lifted in, in things over the years, certainly never ever to to your level. But I asked the you know the the, the guitar question because I know like when I was really lifting, like I would have like like forearm and wrist cramps and stuff. So I'd have to kind of watch you know what I was doing there. But so like take me through like like a typical day. Like I, I'm I'm curious to know. You know, just because I'm I'm fascinated by by the whole art of bodybuilding. You know, a couple of bodybuilders when I was growing up in in high school and stuff too. Like like, what's the diet like? You know, how how do you work in your lifting with your practice regime? Because I mean, you know, for anybody who 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 hears this record, you're a monster on guitar as well. So I mean, you have these two very disciplined practices here. I'm just curious of how it all intertwines in a day. Well, you know, one thing that's pretty interesting is I I actually. Play. You wouldn't think it, but I actually play better <clears throat> if I play after I've worked out. There's it's something about you know, you know, the physical exercise. You're just doing something that you know it's heating up all your muscles and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's something to do with you know your nervous system and things like that. But I, I play better almost always if if I work out first, you know, and then I go you know, to do my practicing or go to rehearsal or something like that. Almost without fail, it's like that. Usually, if it's the other way around, you know, if I wake up, if I sleep in, I wake up and you know, I'm like, oh, I'll just, you know, roll out of bed and play some guitar for a couple hours, you know. You know, then I usually have to, you know, my hands are stiffer and I, I have to warm up a lot longer that way. You know, but if I go, if I go to the gym first, do my workout, even if it's, you know, even if it's like an arm workout or something, you know, do that, and I, I hit the guitar right afterwards. I'm already warmed up, and it's, I'm, I'm good to go. So, you know, the, as the other thing you mentioned as far as, like, uh, the diet and things like that, the, the one, you know, nagging problem with, with bodybuilding is you really have to be, you have to eat in a very structured way. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so it, it takes time to, uh, you know, a lot of guys will prepare every meal they're going to eat for a period of three or four days, they'll, they'll spend a chunk of time on one day and prepare all their meals for the next few days at the same time and they keep them in Tupperware and that kind of stuff. And sometimes I do that, you know, not all the time, but so that's, that's one issue is you have to be, it, it forces you to have a very um, planned out schedule and it forces you to be just a very kind of structured, calculated person. But when it comes to the type of music that I do, when you think about it, I'm doing metal or power metal. It's a very technical style of music. So yeah. I think it really, you know, it benefits me musically as well. I, well, I've got to agree because as you're explaining things, I'm like, man, this really fits into that musical lifestyle because like, they're, they're both very structured, you know, as you're saying here. Yeah, definitely. All right. So. Getting back to the machine gun guitar now. So, again, like, you know, you're, you're built like Kane Roberts. You know, you're definitely a muscular guy here. You've got the machine gun guitar. Like, did you, like, how how did you did that come about? Like, were you a Kane Roberts fan? Did you just see the guitar and say, oh, that's, that's cool? I'm trying to remember, actually, because I've had that for a while. I got, I bought that guitar at NAMM several years ago. Nice. It's, it's honestly, I... I'm not going to mention the company name because the guitar kind of sucks as a guitar. Gotcha. But, uh, it, you know, and it has, uh, it doesn't like to stay in tune and that kind of stuff. And it has ridiculous fret access problems because of the clip on the machine gun <laughs> is hanging down and gets in the way of your hand. Yeah. So, but no, I, I picked that up and uh, there's actually, I don't think there's any video, but I know there's some photos floating around. On the headstock of that guitar, there's actually a laser attached to the back of the headstock that nice. I can turn off and on with a thumb switch. And so it's it's just like this one of these emerald green lasers. And so when the fog's going or something, if I, you know, I do a solo with the, with that guitar, I flip the laser on it, and it's just like you know, '80s all over again. So, That's killer. Yeah. <laughs> that is killer, man. And, I, I, no. I got to do more work on that guitar, though. I got to replace the. The tuner, the tuners on it, because it, it won't stay in tune for more than a couple songs. So. Oh wow! Yeah. Well, it, it's funny because like I was in, um, I was in Chicago. I think it was early last year. It was early last year, and I was I was at a uh, guitar shop downtown, 
and I saw a machine gun guitar on the wall. And again, I, I haven't seen one since a picture of the K. Roberts back in the 80s. Yeah. And then, um, uh, yeah, so this guitar's been on my mind. I'm like, wow, I, I guess they're really out there. And then I saw yours. I'm like, okay, I got to ask about this. <laughs> yeah, and you know, Kane Roberts, man, his he had one that shot like a rocket off of it. So, <laughs> yeah. You know? So it's even better. You know? I guess they don't they don't make them like they used to. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, I tell you, the the excess of the '80s it had its pros and cons, and I really did enjoy it. <laughs> it had some fun stuff. So. Let's talk about your guitar collection in general. I'm curious to know if you own all the guitars I've seen you pictured with on your site, because I swear every picture was a different guitar. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, that's pro- uh, probably is the case. I do have, I do have quite a few. <laughs> yeah. Well, so, just, so take us through I, the collection here a little bit. I'd, I'd like to hear a little bit about them. Okay. Well, I'll go through the ones that I play typically. You know, first. Um, right now, I've got a couple of. Uh, ESP LTDs that I really like. I've got one that's got 27 frets on it. Wow. Yeah, and it's really nice. And I've, I've done a couple things to it. Like I put a sustain, a brass sustain block in the bridge. And what else? I've got, uh, I've got an older Ibanez RG with no, you know, no tremolo on it. It's just like a string through. But it's been kind of like a workhorse guitar for me. And it's it's one that just always always kind of comes through for me. So it's, it's a little bit thrashed these days, but I still keep it around. And then uh, I got like a, I've got a Jackson Warrior, one of those kind of crazy shaped ones. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm looking around right now. I'm trying to think of, you know, I've got, uh, oh, I've got one that's really cool. It's, um, there's a company called Gary Kramer Guitars. Okay. Just, you know, the, the original guy from Kramer Guitars. And he's, uh, put a new company together several years ago and started putting out these just these crazy you know weird body shapes and things like that and the the one I've got they actually discontinued it and I got the last one that was in black in, in that color and it's called a Gary Kramer Guitars R29 Turbulence and it's got this crazy crazy body shape and it's got a 29 fret maple fretboard and then it's got, you know, the Floyd Rose and, yeah. and you know, mahogany body and all this stuff. Wow. And that's just awesome, you know. But they stopped making it, so I'm like, damn it. <laughs> yeah, I've, got, I've got like an old, uh, I've got an old Charvel that I've had forever. Um, yeah, a bunch of stuff, you know. That's killer, couple, man. A couple of Jacksons, a couple of Jackson Dinkies. Man, that's, that, that's, that's quite the collection here. So let's talk about um, your new EP, Full Metal Thunder. Yeah. All right, so this is, um, I guess, this is your latest release. I was going back listening to some of the older releases, checking things out on Spotify and kind of comparing. And my, my, first, my first inkling is this feels, and I hate to use this, this term exactly, so I'm going to need to define it a little bit, but it feels mellower than... Than, than some of your previous work because your previous work just felt like it was much more up-tempo. So it's not mellow in the fact that it's not like you're doing smooth jazz or anything for anybody who's out there listening. Like, this is metal. But but to me, I hear like a lot of Dawkins-esque kind, kind of things to it. Like, you, you kind of fall back and get into more of a groove. I was just about to say that. It's got more of a groove to it. Yeah. So why don't you talk about a little bit about how like writing this album came about, producing it, all those sort of things. Okay, well, kind of... Uh, an interesting thing this EP and my previous EP Visions of Victory that was originally going to be one album and what was going on at the time was I was working with two different singers and the previous EP the Visions of Victory the previous EP has a female singer on it and that you know my, my original idea I was going to do one album with both singers and I was working on all the songs at the same time and a couple things happened. One was just that uh, the songs that ended up on Full Metal Thunder were taking longer to finish because of just the distance issue. The singer lives in Nashville. Oh wow! And yeah, and and then I just as I got closer to having everything done, I just kind of felt like you know the the two voices were very very different with the different singers, and I felt like you know these really don't fit on one album. So I decided to break it up into two EPs. And so the other stuff was done first, so I released that. And we did a video for one of the songs that I was really happy with. And then uh, 
Yeah, and then just uh, afterwards, like about five, I think about five months after that EP, uh, I released the Full Metal Thunder EP. And I'll be honest, I actually, you know, I like the Full Metal Thunder material better. Um, yeah, I just, I think the songs just kind of fit together more, and uh, they're they're more fun to play live. And uh, as far as the band, uh, Michael Yancey is the singer, and he's a guy I kind of met. I met him in a very, very metal setting. I met the guy backstage at the Whiskey like like three years ago at Whiskey yeah. ago, and he was singing in a band called Angels of Babylon at the time, which is with uh, Rhino, the drummer for Manowar, right? Oh yeah, 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 and now with Death Dealer. Yes, exactly. Yeah, he's in Death Dealer now, which I I love Death Dealer. Anyway, me too. Yeah. Anyway, so I met he was singing in that band at the time, and I was playing in Death Riders uh, with with Neil uh, Neil Turbin's band. So we were both happened to do the show and just started chatting backstage and kind of kept in touch after the show. And he and his thing was like, man, you know, I'm working. He was asking me to uh, play some play guitar on some of his songs or something, and. I don't even remember how it came about, but I just like I just I need a real you know somebody with a real gritty voice you know and just a real classic gritty metal voice for uh, you know for those songs I was working on. I'm like man, that guy would really fit the bill. So I called him up and he was totally down to do it. And and we've done some live stuff now. We've got some more live shows coming up, and uh, it's worked out great. You know, that's killer, man. And and again, like it's, it's a really solid solid work. You know, like I was enjoying listening to it today, and um, the, the the one tune I was just listening to, like right, literally right before we we got on on the line here, is "Marching with Dragons." Yeah. And so, I, it's not often that I can always hear an influence, but I was reading through like your list of influences, you know, and being a shredder, I, I expected um, a lot of the names that I saw. We'll say, uh, except one because I don't see it very often, and I was very impressed. Chris and Pelletieri. Oh, dude, Chris is a monster player. Man. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah, that's amazing. So many people don't know about this guy. And I mean, like, I, I remember when Impelitary came out back in the 80s. And I remember, you know, I can tell you, like, one of the guys I was with from high school and just watching the, the videos just going, wow. And yeah. he had a very, very specific way of doing some of his hammer-ons with, with this amazing kind of like a glissando. It was so smooth. And I've only heard him do it until I was listening to Marching with Dragons and I heard you pull that off. <laughs> yeah, well he's yeah, he's he's a huge influence on me, you know, and he's there are some players who are more of an influence in like my writing or my riffs. Yeah. But there are other players who are more you know, a bigger influence in my lead playing. And definitely Chris Chris is actually both, but definitely very strong influence in my lead playing, you know. And the thing about him is he will typically do stuff. Mo- you know, most of his stuff is very what a guitarist would call inside playing, where it's, it's stuff that's very pleasing to your ear. Mm-hmm. You know, he uses a lot of uh, scales that you know you're familiar with hearing and things like that. Uh, but he does it with just his accuracy and speed, and just the execution is so so good that it, it's just it, you know. I never get tired of listening to his stuff. And I actually really like uh, the Animal stuff, Animal USA. Yes, yes, with him and um, uh, Rudy, right? Yeah, Rudy Sarzo, yeah. Mike Nacera. Uh Yeah, yeah, that stuff is great, too. Well, it's, it's funny, because I, I actually interviewed Rudy about that project not too long ago. Oh, yeah? Uh, well, you know, maybe it's getting closer to a year ago now. And I remember being very excited. So I'm like, you're playing with Chris and Pelletieri. You know, and I'm like... How can nobody like be excited with this? Like he's perfect for that kind of project, you know? Yeah, absolutely and, perfect. Yeah. And like I said, then I'm, I'm reading your bio and I see that name, like no. And and like I said, listening to Marching Dragons, I'm like son of a gun. Like and it's and it's not often, like I said, I said that I that I hear those kind of things, and I don't think anybody else would probably ever pick it up for his. But I really listened to, like to a Chris and Pelletier. Like I am, I am a music geek to my core. Like the, the things that I pick out and recognize are just unnatural sometimes. You know, and and just man, just your 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 finesse and te- technique with some of the leads and stuff, and and again, this all comes back to kind of where we started 
with the violins, mm-hmm. I don't think that people get like, like there's there's shredders out there where they can go a million miles an hour, but there's no substance to it. Right. And when you talk about a Chris Impelitari and now a guitarist like yourself, especially having the background that you have, you understand that you know it's more than just playing a million notes a minute. It's it's how the the whole package, the you know the point A to point B, getting the melody involved in there, and yeah. and and saying something with it. You know, yeah. Like I I don't know how big of a Mozart fan you are. I love Mozart, and one of my favorite symphonies was the Hofner number thirty five. And it starts out kind of gentle, and then just it takes off. You've got every, you know, like like, like every every member of the string section playing like unison lines, and then harmony lines, and like it just like wow, like where's he going with this? But they, but they know how to speed it up, slow it down, and I, I hear so much of that in your lead playing, especially in Full Metal Thunder. Well, thank you, and I mean all the stuff, all the stuff you're saying. I mean, I totally agree with, and and. Uh, most so many of the, of those baroque composers you know um i mean that stuff sh- that stuff is like the genesis of shredding you know exactly i mean you know the arpeggios and just you know you've got all these crazy 16th note lines and things like that i mean yeah it it, it carries over you know it carries over so well and just what you're saying about yeah I mean, it's easy to play a million notes a second or not not easy but i mean people can do it yeah but without you know, without having the meaning, I, the way I like to think about that stuff is you can have, let's say you know you're you're playing uh, you know you're doing sweep arpeggios or something like that. Mm-hmm. It gets to a point where it's not the individual notes that are making the point, or, you know, or it's not the individual notes that have the substance, but it's the sound of the combination of those notes. If that makes any sense, absolutely. It's you know gets your point across or whatever you're trying to express. That's how I think about it. You know, because yeah, I mean, you you can say all like, oh well, you're you're playing so fast, you can't even hear the, you can't even hear the separate notes. You know, I mean, yeah, some people, you know, that's true. I'm sure to them it sounds that way, but it's you have to step back and and listen to the overall, you know, the overall emotion that's coming out of it and that kind of stuff. Yep, uh, you're you're painting a picture with sound. You know, you're you're painting a soundscape. Absolutely. Yeah, man. Yeah, it's funny. It's funny you talk. You bring up Chris and Pelletieri because I mean, I uh, the bass player in my in my live band. I talk with him about about Chris all the time. You know, just because of the fact that he's so good, and yet most people, at least around, you know, at least in the USA, you say Chris and Pelletieri, and they're like, who? You know, yeah, blows my mind. Yeah, it's 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 insane. You know, but of course, you go go over to Japan or. In Europe or something, and everybody knows who he is. Yeah, it's, it's such a shame, and, it, and it's funny because I mean, you know, him and Ingve, like, I, I I love them both, and I just can't believe that people can know Ingve but not know Chris. Right. You know, yeah. like like those guys were just like ah, oh, like like the same 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 kind of level, but like Chris just was a little bit more on the on the block side. Like Ingve definitely had more of the classical side going. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think I think. One thing, even people who listen to Chris and Pelletieri kind of miss out on. I, I'm sure you pick up on this, but his songwriting is so good. You know, he can he can write a catchy, memorable metal song. He can do that all day long. Yeah. You know, and, and a lot of shredders can't do that. A lot of shredders, their lead stuff will be amazing, but when it comes to writing, writing a song that'll stick in your head, then then they can't do it. But but he's he's I think one of the few who who can do that. Yeah. You know, and, and and that's a craft. You know, and that's that's again coming back to what I think people don't get is like there's fast, and then there is, and I hate to use the term school because school doesn't have to mean that you went through formal education, but it's understanding the craft. You know, kind of like what you were talking about, you know, earlier. You're saying like, well, you didn't necessarily have formal education, but you know what's going on, and you have to know those things to really be able to sit down and craft something. You know, it's, it's kind of like I can go out to my garage with a saw. And a hammer and some nails, and I am not going to get the same result that a, a carpenter who's spent time practicing the trade is going to get. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, so one last question here. We'll wrap things up. Sure. Um, tour. Like, what can we expect show wise? You going to be t- touring to support this at all? Small tours. What are we talking? We're we're talking small tours. You know, I I do. You know, I I am based in LA, and so we do local shows. You know, fairly often just around here. 
but we're doing a, a couple, a pair of shows in Nashville because you know singer's hometown, that kind of stuff. We're doing a pair of shows over there, and right now we're we're working on setting up a tour in uh, Mexico that's going to be, you know, early this coming year. Nice. But around the same time, in addition to my, you know, my band Maxwell Carlisle, I'm also the guitarist in Hellion. And they're kind of ramping up to do some heavy touring next year. So I'm probably going to be doing my band in the early part of the year and then Hellion stuff uh, after that. Man, you're going to be busy. Yeah, I can't wait, though. It's, 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 you know, it's what I live to do, so it's great. All right. Well, hey, Max, I cannot thank you enough for coming on the show. Hey, man, anytime. That was Maxwell Carlyle's duet for electric guitar and electric cello in A minor from his 2010 release, Speed Force. That also brings an end to episode 225, and I'd like to thank Chris from In This Moment and Maxwell Carlyle for taking the time to talk to us. If you have any feedback, please feel free to contact us at ironcityrocks at gmail.com. Also, check out our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash ironcityrocks and follow us on Twitter at twitter.com forward slash ironcityrocks. Also, our website, ironcityrocks.com, you can find all the podcasts and concert photos from around the Berg. Also, right now we have the voting going on for the Iron City Rocks Pittsburgh Music Awards that will last until January 15th. You can find voting information on our website and on our Facebook page. Iron City Rocks is part of the Cast Iron Ring Network of Podcasts, so please feel free to check out the other podcasts in our network. Until next time, thanks for listening. (laughs) 